Hi, this is Dan Cassetta. Welcome to Flashback Friday on Changing Lives, Selling Knives. This podcast was created to share inspiring stories from people who are positively impacting the world using lessons and skills they first learned from selling Cutco knives with Vector Marketing Corporation. Episodes feature some of Cutco's most prominent alumni and top achieving current leaders. Flashback Friday is your chance to hear a short piece of one of my favorite past episodes. We'll hand select the best nuggets to share with you in this short form. The lessons of the Cutco Vector experience are numerous, are compelling, and are real world concepts for business and life. Thanks for pressing play. Let's get on with today's flashback. Today, we are flashing back to what I still consider to be one of the best and most impactful episodes of this podcast ever. Episode number 46 with high-performance culture expert Isaac Tolpin. Isaac was arguably the greatest division manager that Cutco Vector has ever had, having produced the all-time record division total sales for a year with over $11 million, a record which still stands today. Isaac left the company to establish his own coaching and consulting business, and he continues to guide and inspire entrepreneurs and business leaders to this day. In this short snippet, we talk about what culture is, how to identify who you are in order to define the culture you want to shape in your business, and how to craft culture-driving statements that will inspire your team for the long term. This section ends with a short story of how Isaac was inspired to double his business, a goal he achieved within just two years. Today's episode is sponsored by Good Weather Wine, which was founded by Isaac's original Vector mentor, Mark Lovis, to bring people great natural wines at good prices. All their wines are sugar-free, low in sulfites, and with no additives. You can get a monthly shipment of three, six, or 12 bottles, and they'll make it super easy by making the selections for you based on your preferences. Visit goodweatherwine.com to get started and enter the discount code CLSK when you check out to get free shipping on your order. You can see all our sponsors at changinglivespodcast.com deals. Enjoy this flashback segment from Isaac Tolpin and be sure to revisit the full episode Number 46. You are as qualified as anyone to talk about building a high performance culture. And so let's get into that topic here. And I think uh, our audience has a lot of great stuff in store for them here in the next few minutes. Let's start by talking about what is culture in your view? And, and why do you think this is a concept that is sort of nebulous for many leaders? Oh, it's a great question. It's we all know culture is important. We hear talks about it. We may have even written, written read books about it, but it seems to many leaders, and I know it did to me at this time until I really shifted, to be something that's not tangible. It's hard to grab onto and it's hard to keep a culture. Well, a culture always exists. It's either getting better or worse. Okay. Uh, whether you're driving one or not, a culture exists. It's just probably bad if you're not driving one. And a culture is the ethos. It's the behavior when no one's looking. It's the unwritten rules. It's the what actually is and exists. It's not what a company puts on their mission statement. It's not those things. It what is real. Now, what's the best scenario is when the mission statement and the values of the company match what's real, but that's rare and unusual. 
You think of companies like Zappos, where that's more real. You think of companies like Apple, think different, is is I would call their crucible statement uh, that ripples through their company to create a certain culture that drives performance and great products. But um, that's that's a, a definition and it's nebulous just because you know people talk about something and they stop talking about it. I've said in front of a room before, raise your hand to a bunch of leaders. If you have carefully crafted and thought about a key statement or something that was really important to say uh, that you knew was going to make a difference in your business and never stopped saying it every opportunity you possibly could for an entire year and almost always nobody raises their hand. What happens is as leaders, we want feedback. And there's certain things as leaders that we need to decide and never stop whether we get any feedback or not. There's some things, a lot of things we need to get feedback on. But when it comes to driving culture, it is not something once you launch it that you need feedback on. And unfortunately, how many times do leaders start talking about one thing for a few months and then there's talk about something else for a few months and it's an ever-changing focus, whereas they never get the favor of momentum. Mm. You know, you talked about the idea of communicating a statement that you drive and that you continue to promote and talk about. And this is something that I really remember with you. And, you know, before we get into a lot of the nitty gritty of creating and driving high performance and high performance culture, just this idea of a statement that you drive is a critical point. And for you, it was choose growth, right? Choose growth was the mantra of the North Pacific division. And I think that that concept permeated every decision that people made in your organization as they were progressing through their work days, you know, or striving for whatever goals that they were striving for. Choose growth. And of course, there were things beneath that that you talked about, but that was the mantra. Let's talk a little bit about that concept. And, you know, how do you craft a culture driving statement that's going to be something that inspires your entire team for a long period of time? Yeah, no, it, it totally was. And there's a lot behind that. And we'll, uh, and I'll go into that. But the thought of this, and I'll answer the question is I remember thinking, how can I raise the floor everybody's standing on? Because I'm sure pe- anybody that leads people will relate to this. You get a couple of people over here performing at a high level. And then the people you're working with before kind of drop down and it, they, t- they change roles any given year campaign or whatever you call things. And what if you could just get the whole floor to raise where, yeah, that still happens, but everybody's success is greater. And so when it was about me and me working directly with people or about the speech I give or these kinds of things or meetings I run, it was, I couldn't raise the floor. But culture raises the floor. And if you instill it right with a key statement that you're talking about, then every time you say that, when nobody's looking, people make more of the right decisions. When nobody's looking, people decide to try a little harder. They, you know, you'd be shocked. And I know you know this, Dan, but you'd be shocked if you were like a little angel on the shoulder of your people, whoever your people are that you lead, and you could actually see what they do. Now, seeing is one thing. You'd be shocked at how rudimentary and basic, the most basic things don't happen sometimes. But now your culture gives that little angel a voice. Mm. It's like whispering in everybody's ears on a constant basis when they decide to do this or this. So the question you said is, how do you develop the key statement? 
The problem a lot of people do, first of all, is they think of something clever that their team will like. The problem with that is you will never talk about what you don't possess within you. So the first thing you have to do is think about who am I and what am I about? Because if you drive anything different than what you're about as a leader, you will never stay the course in driving it forward and you'll lack the authenticity to deliver it the right way. Mm -hmm. So that is huge. Yeah, no doubt. Really doing some introspection to think about, you know, what are you about as a leader is the key first step to being able to come up with something that you're going to be able to drive with your organization. What else goes into the aspects of communication that helps to, you know, foster this into the bloodstream of all of your people? Yeah. So the next key is that you have to think about what are the key result areas in my business? What actually makes a difference? Because if we're talking about behavior, what do we want behavior to impact? If you want your business to grow, you want it to impact the things that make the business work. So I would just encourage anybody listening, take a notepad out, whiteboard it, write a list of the key levers of your business, write as many as you possibly can. And I did this process. I, was, I thought through this. It was very carefully done. Thought through this process. So what are the key levers? And then I distilled it down to our key result areas. What are the four to seven levers that impact as many of those key result areas as possible? And the reason four to seven is because, and I could even say three to seven, a leader can never effectively communicate about more than four to seven things. And when you distill down the levers, now what is a lever? Well, we all know what a lever is. It's something you pull that has a much bigger impact than your strength because you pulled it. Mm -hmm. And so what you're looking for is a catalyst that you can bring meaning to, a statement you can bring meaning to that they understand and it impacts maybe four different areas of your business. I'll give you an example, Dan. So I have it written down here. Uh, back then... Uh, the Norpac division, I we were the most geographically spread out division probably in the company or one of them. And it was really hard to get anybody to care about the organization beyond their, or, their own organization, about the division, and to be an actual team. And there's a lot of key result areas, at least in that business, when people care beyond their own office. There's a lot of things that impacts and impacts leadership development, which is a huge key to that business. Okay. And so what I did is I just carefully crafted the next step is you figure out a culture driving statement that drives that lever that impacts many key result areas. And the, the, the one for that, which is the geographically spread out and it's hard to get people to care is the statement, multiple leaders proactively leading. And it's not a nice statement. It's kind of normal. It's kind of just four words, <laughs> maybe too many words. But you know what? Every single conference call, every time I was in front of them, every time I was talking to one of them, hey, remember, we're multiple leaders proactively leading. And here's a thing that I knew but didn't practice fully until I had this epiphany, which is, Leaders forget how powerful their words are. And you start to impact the subconscious and the conscious mind when you say the same thing over and over again over a long period of time. It's like advertising. 
It's mm-hmm. amazing. Wow. That was good, Isaac. I really appreciate that. It would be really helpful for people to think about that, this idea of what are the key levers that they can be pulling in their organization that can have that compounded effect, like you said, that is stronger than them. Let's get into some of the other thoughts you have on just what creates a culture that increases performance, that increases results. Because that's ultimately what I think everybody wants in their business is that their business is growing and is producing more and more each year. And you were able to do that, you know, at a really a rapid clip. And that continued for as long as you were with the company. And so let's talk a little bit about how you do that. How do you create a culture that increases performance? So the first thing is, I mean, we talked about some of these keys and we'll talk a little more about them, but you have to be committed to your culture driving statements. And once you decide what they are, you're committing to communicating it nonstop into affinity. You might minorly adjust them. So they have to be your words. They have to be in your words. They have to be sound like you. They have to embody who you are and what you're about, like I said. And with the biggest pitfall people do is they come up with something clever and excited about it. And like I said, they just stop talking about it after a while. They Mm -hmm. aren't truly committed to it. The other thing is, you have to bring meaning to it. Choose growth sounded so corny when we first when I first thought of it. So after you get your levers, then you have your, you write your key statements one for every lever. I want to make sure that's clear. So I had seven of them, and then you need your crucible statement. And what a crucible statement? A crucible, first of all, is that big uh, that pot or hand that uh, molten metal goes in. And it purifies the metal. It gets all the impurities out. And so I call it a crucible statement because it's the most purest, clearest statement and embodies everything you've talked about. And so when I looked at this, I'm like, what is the thing that is going to drive these all the key levers of the business that's going to remind them of all of the key statements I constantly say? when nobody's around them and they have to manage themselves. I think a story is really relevant to this that'll be helpful to people is that I was uh, married at the time. At the time I had four kids. My wife was on bed rest. So that is where she can't really do anything. And then when you already have kids, that's a very difficult season. And I remember uh, sitting in this coffee shop and I had this thought, how does 10 million happen? And that can be relevant to whatever you're doing. How does doubling your business happen would be the equivalent, okay? Mm -hmm. How does doubling my business happen, especially when that's never been done before in your environment or your industry, let's say. And um, and then what logically came to my mind and probably comes to a lot of people's minds is I'm going to have to work harder. Well, wait a minute. There's this tension of my wife needs me more than ever. And I feel this draw to doubling the business and figuring that out. And then what usually happens to people and did happen to me in the moment, it was, which is surrender to normalcy. Okay, that's not for me because this is more important, my family. So I am going to be successful, but not the best, not to the potential, not to discover new ground, because that'll cause me to work too hard. Therefore, I'm going to be successful, push the chips in, and take care of my family. But then something happened. This great book, which I think you've read, Good to Great, Mm -hmm. um, is the tyranny 
of the or versus the genius of the and entered my mind. And I preach about this quote because it changed my thought process in that moment. I was like coaching myself. And I'm like, why wouldn't I have the best family life that ever existed and be the best father and husband, be the best leader where it matters most and take a business where it's never been done before and not work harder? Why can't I believe in the genius of the end? And so I did. And that's what happened. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's flashback episode of Changing Lives, Selling Knives, you can find the full episode and show notes at changinglivespodcast.com. You can also sign up there to receive free resources from me and some of our amazing guests. Please consider rating or reviewing us on your podcast player and hit the subscribe button so future episodes are automatically downloaded directly to your device. This is Dan Cassetta signing off We'll be back in a few days for our next story about changing lives.